Hello, you're listening to the Skylight Books podcast series. We are a general interest independent bookstore located in the Los Feliz neighborhood of Los Angeles, California. This year, because of the coronavirus pandemic, we've had to close our store and cancel in-person events. But Skylight is your neighborhood bookstore, and we are finding ways to create community even while we're far apart. In the coming weeks, we'll be putting out lots of new audio content to help you discover new books, connect with authors, and check in with your favorite booksellers. To learn more about how you can help keep Skylight alive, please visit our website at skylightbooks.com or check out our social media accounts on Twitter and Instagram. You can subscribe to the podcast on Podbean, iTunes, and Spotify. Thank you for listening and enjoy. Hello, my beautiful listeners, and welcome to Skylit. This is the Skylight Books Podcast, and I'm your host, Lance Morgan. Today, we're welcoming Melissa Colasanti to read from her new book, Call Me Elizabeth Lark, and afterwards be in a conversation with Ed Amar. But before I introduce them, I want to remind you that Skylight Books is open right now for browsing. We're open from 11 to 7 on the weekdays and 10 to 8 on the weekends. Um, we are with mandatory masks and social distancing still in place. So please just respect everyone around you if you come in. We also are um, offering curbside pickup for books and online ordering on our website, our newly designed website, www.skylightbooks.com. So check that out. Melissa Colasanti is a mother and an author. She has a BFA in fiction from uh, Boise State University. Her writing has appeared in LitHub, Memoir Magazine, The Coffin Bell Journal, and others. She's a member of ITW and was awarded the Stephen R. Kustra Fellowship for Creative Writing in 2019 and the Glenn Balch Award for Fiction in 2020. Her debut thriller, Call Me Elizabeth Lark, will be released in March, 2021. Today, she'll be in conversation with author Ed Amar, whose most recent book is They're Gone. Check out both books at skylightbooks.com. So welcome, Melissa and Ed. I'm so excited to have both of you here. Hi, nice to to see you both or speak with you both today. Yeah. And also, I'm so sorry for all the, if I mispronounced anything in your bio there. No, you didn't. Ed, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, thanks. And you got, uh, you pronounced Ed perfectly. I did? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's only two ways, but you got it exactly right. I I was terrified too, so I'm glad I got it right. I'm glad that was the one I was scared for. (laughs) (laughs) All right. No, Ed has written a wonderful book, They're Gone, and that was published through Crooked Lane as well, right? And your book came out in November, wasn't it? That's right. Yeah, it came out last, uh, yeah, November uh, 2020. So we are pub mates, pub mates. which yeah. in England means something completely different. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I mean, it's, it's, honestly, it's fun in both countries, honestly. Like both, <laughs> countries, both countries. Um, And I also just want to like congratulate any author who's able to put out a book in the middle of the pandemic. So you guys are just amazing for it. And I'm in awe. Um, but that's all I have to say, and I'll let you take it away, Melissa, and I'll just be listening to this fantastic conversation between you and Ed. Thanks so much. Okay, I'm going to read a little bit, just a short reading from um, chapter two. 
Um, this is from Elizabeth's perspective. There's three perspectives in the book, so this is hers. Um, the cabin reeks of dank mold. Elizabeth peeks out the window, hoping no one will see her, though there's no logical reason for her fear. The cabin is situated in a thicket of deep wood where lime green lichen weeps from the trees like loam hat, gnome hats. Tufts of moss unfurl through the walls where the wood has rotted while the foundation crumbles precariously beneath their feet. It is as tiny as the dollhouse dropped amid the lush, expansive forest surrounded by frozen creeks and giant boulders. The moonlight seeps through a lattice of soft fir branches and the cabin casts a shadow onto the snow. It is swallowed by the forest ahead. On each side of the shadow, crystals of snow glitter like a smattering of diamonds. No one could find this cabin. No one away from the forest knows they are alive. Elizabeth, her husband's gravelly voice startles her. She turns back to her son who snuggles with his blue blanket and stuffed giraffe on the couch fast asleep. Elizabeth smiles at Theo and clicks off the television. She slides to the boy's level and perches on the balls of her feet, tucking the blanket around his chin. The cold mountain air seeps through the, into the poorly insulated cabin. His hair tumbles over his eyes, but she won't cut it. A memory of Peter shaving her son's luscious ringlets churns inside of her. Elizabeth pushes her fist into her stomach and twirls Theo's stray hair. Are you coming or what? Peter yells. She steals herself for the next few moments. Coming, she speaks just loud enough for him to hear her. This is the last time her voice will be low. She squeezes her hands into tight fists. Honey, my back is aching. Can you bring me a drink and my pills? This is the moment she has waited for. The man doesn't pay the heating bill while he's out of town and now he wants to be taken care of. Elizabeth can arrange this. She swings the hollow cord door softly to prepare not to let it bang against the wall. He lays in bed, quiet and vulnerable, covered with the only heavy comforter in the house. The curtains are drawn tight. I'll have your drink and pills in a second. You want food? No, just the pills. Please, honey. She hates the words so thick and sweet off his tongue. She shudders, remembering the tang of his hot breath against her neck. I'm sorry about yesterday, he groans in pain. I can't believe how slippery that ice is. It's like someone dumped water all over the porch. Her lips curl into a smile. She pours three fingers of Jack Daniels into a tumbler. Funny they can afford this and his Vicodin when she and Theo haven't been to a doctor, not ever. They haven't left this cabin in years except to exchange pleasantries with the homesteaders who have cleared trees and built little farms that sprawl down the mountain. They have their own peculiarities, she thinks, because they aren't alarmed that Elizabeth lives here in this falling down shack with a five-year-old. Still, Peter says to be friendly, but don't get too close. I'm watching you. So it's the beginning of that chapter. <laughs> That's awesome. I am so happy that you read that section of the book because it combines two of my favorite things about Call Me Elizabeth Lark, which are your use of prose, um, which, you know, is, uh, I mean, I don't really like genre distinctions or anything, but, you know, it's clearly literary fiction, um, but you don't at any point sacrifice the tension of the plot. So, um, how'd you do that? <laughs> well, see, I have some great editors now. Um, that's true too. But um, I wanted to, 
like pick this premise that really helped with that, you know, because it can be really easy to start letting characters just kind of um, not advance their own stories. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking this about Elizabeth and I was also thinking about, Ed, I was thinking about Ceci in your book in They're Gone um, because both of them have been, you know, abused by their husband, yet they both are, um, but they're both active, you know? So I think keeping the characters active is sort of imperative in terms of just keeping keeping tension and keeping things going. Yeah, I, that's one of the things that I really admired about this uh, book be, because there's this sense of um, it, it's really unrelenting, you know, as the characters, um, you know, even when the characters find a bit of a, a safe haven, it's on rocky ground, <laughs> yeah. you know, and I, I just love how you did that. Oh, one of the one of the questions I I had is um, thinking about you know the the breadth of the novel. What led to the idea for Call Me? Was there something that you know an article, a news, uh, you know, a, in a newspaper or something or on TV that that kind of uh, spurred it? Actually, that's interesting because I wrote two different stories uh, for a fiction cl- a fiction class. Um, in college and this was just like one was maybe a year ago and another like the year before that and one was about a woman who kills her abusive spouse and they're just in a cabin and that's the end you know it's a short story and then the other one is about an imposter and so I just thought what if I could combine those two I just um in the in the short story version of um the person on the seaside in and and having the woman come in we never find out really who she is it's more just about Myra and as she is in the novel um waiting for her daughter to come home kind of a thing but in the short story it's more her because you know you don't have a long time to do a big plot driven you know it's just she's waiting there this woman comes in and she's convinced it's her daughter and throughout the course of this very short story she comes to the realization that the daughter's probably not coming home and then this one i thought i'll just like massively expand on that what if this person did just kind of accidentally on purpose become an imposter and it just grew from there but it did take me some time to put the idea together because I think it was like the short stories were written like a year apart in the first place so so you had those two ideas in your mind and you expanded on them for this did you uh you wrote it then and you you know going in the sense that you had different character viewpoints um did you write it in a linear fashion or did you jump around um when you were putting it together you know I did and pretty much it's linear, but pretty much the first two chapters are very close to being those two short stories, like very, very close. I mean, some things change just to make it fit the novel and then it goes on from there. And I did uh, write linearly, not that there weren't a bunch of revisions where things changed. Like for example, um, one of my antagonists originally didn't die. Um, he was there through the whole novel. Like that was an editorial decision that we made that 
just made it so that, and it was, she, I mean, my editor's awesome. She was right. You know, that kept up more attention because we lost or we didn't have to like have this one thing kind of falling. You know what I mean? It, it mm-hmm. kept attention to have like, okay, this is over. Now we're moving on to another danger kind of a thing. So there were stuff that there's like, oh my gosh, I think I rewrote about, I think I rewrote this book like 15 times. I can't even, you know how it is though with revision, it can just be, and you also write, or at least your last book was multi point of view as well. And that can be more tricky to get, to get the pacing right at least, you know, with this book, I felt that and kept having to like combine chapters or move chapters or things just so that you don't it like get repetitive or, you know, ruin the pacing with, with so many different stories to keep track of. And I love the way that you are able to do that. I mean, you're just awesome with your, your multi point of views. Ah, thank you. It's thank you for the fun things too. So fun. Yeah. And thanks for putting the spotlight on me too let's make this about me my my biggest strength uh, no i'm just kidding um <laughs> i do want to uh you know one of the funny things though is and i was wondering this with with you too and i sent you a list of questions ahead of time that i'm totally going to deviate from now um so be prepared um <laughs> one of the things that i um you know it, it, it's funny writing from the two point of views um for me it seems almost like a it's just a natural thing it's kind of it feels like a cop-out in a way because it it seems more difficult to write uh a whole novel from one point of view and you're sort of trapped in that and you have to sustain that energy i mean what do you um is this something do you write are you gonna do you think you'll approach every novel differently or is this kind of your your approach going forward That's a really interesting question because all of my novels, like I've written a few others and then I have another that, you know, hopefully will find a home that are all, they're all multiple perspectives and they're all third person. And that's what I've done. Um, I might do a single point of view here coming up. I'm going to give it like a hand and we'll see what happens kind of thing. But I'm also considering doing something in first person. But it's more like a challenge, you know, mm-hmm. because I do love my cast of characters. Um, I really love um, exploring like different people. And it's harder to get the char- another character that is outside and completely inaccessible to their head. I understand what you mean by that. Like it, it feels easier but yet it's not because then you go back and you're revising and you have to do a lot more intensive character work with each character because you have more than one perspective so that's probably so I mean they say that I feel like I do character better than plot though I think it's what did you um you know what's weird and I wonder if you're this if you share the same viewpoint i do with this um i really find first person a much more gripping read like if i pick up a book in first person i'm immediate it just feels that there's an urgency there you know what i like both but i do notice that um a lot of this specific genre does a lot of first person 
Mm -hmm. um, if you go read a lot of literary fiction, I think you find a lot of third person and I think it works really well, especially if you have a really um, strong or almost intense character because it gives you just a little backup, you know, um, it, for that third person. But I am excited to try first person because I've just read so many that worked so well. And I'm going to try this whole let's get a whole book in one perspective thing, just because it's like a challenge, you know? It is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Are you, um, so with, you mentioned, you know, other books that you have and that this uh, book came from a, a pair of short stories. Are any of the characters going to recur? I don't think so. I feel like this was a one and done kind of thing. Um, originally, there was a character, a very briefly you know, a brief cameo from one of my last book, which was published by a small press. Um, and then she got cut because we didn't have enough, we didn't have enough of her, I guess. <laughs> but I mean, you know, I, yeah, I, I think this one's just kind of, it's done, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they went through a lot. They need a break. They do. <laughs> I feel like where would they be? I mean, there is one possibility that I had considered is that if I ever did another novel and set it in this town, it's there's a potential that that police the police woman could come back in and potentially somebody could have a, a cameo just if it was set there because I have so all these small town settings and it would be so convenient for me to set another novel in this town because I know it so well in terms of setting. Mm -hmm. But I haven't done that yet or thought of any. I mean, that was just like, that's a brief like kernel in my mind for the future maybe. But I, I can't, um, this particular book feels like it's just done, you know? Yeah. Yeah. What about, um, yeah, I love the title. Was that your original title? It was. And I know that's that amazing because Crooked Lane always changes titles. They usually do, I hear. And I didn't know that really, but they didn't change it. No, it's, you know, it took a long time to come up with it. I probably would have been so annoyed if they had changed it. So now that I'm writing like the next thing I'm writing, I'm like not titling it. I'm not going <laughs> to spend the time to do it. It's going to be like something really basic that they can. You know, unless something comes to me that's really exciting, I'm just going to be really basic because I understand like 90% of titles are changed or something like that. Mm -hmm. what, what about you? Did you, did, is yours the original for their song anyway? No, I had an awesome title. It was, um, it was the whole concept of the book came to me because a friend of mine, um, a historical fiction writer, uh, Susanna Calkins, um, was telling me about some research she was doing about Al Capone Chicago. And yeah. after the, uh, was it the Valentine's Day Massacre? Um, mm -hmm. The newspaper termed the widows of all those men that had been killed on that day, uh, the bullet widows. Ooh. And I thought that is so cool. And I told her, like, can I use that? And she was like, yeah, I didn't make it up. Sure. So I that was the title. And then um, they were like, we don't really we're not really feeling it. What about so I came up with they're gone and they like that. And it seems a little more um, uh, I don't want to say commercial, but maybe that is the right term. Like I there's a lot of gone books out there. Yeah. And I think that 
they actually do this on purpose. Like, I don't think it has anything to do when they change the name of a title. I don't think it has anything to do with like, oh, this isn't a good title. I think it's just, there's a marketing thing on mm-hmm. it that we don't quite know what they're like doing exactly. But it's like, this is where we're going to shelve this book. And I, I think it probably, there's so much that goes into that whole thought process that I would be, I mean, if they wanted to change the title, I'd be like, whatever, you know, I mean, their editors, they're like all smart in that way. <laughs> yeah, that's that's something I've been thinking about a lot. And yeah, that's a good segue to, the, to this question. Um, you know, as far as like authorial control, you know, you, you, you know, writers famously have, you know, opinions on everything from cover design to, and it takes a, um, to, to, to the plot, to characters, to everything. And it, it takes a bit of understanding to relent on that and think, you know, realize, okay, you know what, I don't have the, the marketing or publishing knowledge of this. Was there anything in, um, were, were there any decisions as far, you know, editorially or otherwise that you had to struggle with? So I didn't struggle because I personally was so excited at the idea of having an edit letter and having somebody who knew all about pacing thrillers and stuff helped me with it. So truly I was okay with, with that, even though I rewrote probably 50% of this book to make it pace the way it is. But I mean, I honestly, that was okay. I was okay with that. There was like one tiny thing. It wasn't, well, it's not tiny, but it was like, there was a question as to whether we actually needed Myra to have bipolar disorder. And I said, yes, we do. And nobody, you know, thought that, but that was the only thing that I was really like, yeah, we need, I have my reasons for putting that in this book and for giving her, you know, making her who she is and knowing, you know, anyway, I just was like, yes, we do need that. But as far, like my editor though, really got my characters, I'll admit. And for me, the harder thing for me to like, let go of would be something about like the depth of the soul that I created in this character more so than the plot, because that wasn't my um, strength. Like I rewrote this so many times because of trying to get that like uh, pacing. So I was like, cool, she knows it. <laughs> yeah, what's funny is that um, I thought, you know, that the uh, second time you said that you didn't consider your plotting a strength. Um, and I thought it was one of the um, things I was, you know, I really took away from the book was uh, it's something I kind of want to study. Yeah, that is actually so, I feel so good to hear that because I've worked harder on that. I think that it just depends on like, I, uh, think that it's just a ch- more of a challenge to me, I guess. Like some people are very good at sitting down and writing out, you know, outlines and making everything come together right away. Whereas, and I've had to do that with my latest book. I actually had to, um, because, you know, when you get an agent and things like that, you have to write the dreaded synopsis Ugh, and hand yeah. it out from A to Z. And that was hard, you know, it's legitimately the more difficult, but I'm hoping, hoping um, that writing the book and then revising the book might be a little bit easier by having had that done. So I'll let you know. 
<laughs> it was so exciting. Yeah, I, I kind of share uh, the same approach you did with um, as far as uh, Crooked Lane, you know, uh, taking the book on. Like I was, I was happy to defer to them as right. far as edits and marketing and 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 all of that. Um, the it, it's it's really weird to get the edit letter and to get the uh, like list of characters in the book and and how they describe them yeah. all. And I'm like. Oh, you're taking this really seriously. <laughs> I, really I just made this up, man. I know. It was so like, I don't know. There was something really like nice about that. But at the same and also it's like you get an edit letter, but they're so nice to you as they're making you change everything, you know? Yeah. Versus like you get the, the, the critique friends over the years and they're just like, this, this, <laughs> you know, and then they're like, no, let's, we're going to very nicely cut out 90% of everything and tell you again, but we love how you're going to do it. You're going to pull this off. So I want to talk a little bit about um, you and your, your oh. writing and your approach. Um, what's your favorite moment of the writing process? Is it the drafting, the editing? You can, you, it's fine to say that you don't like any of it. I like when I write the end. No, just kidding. Um, I actually really enjoy drafting now that I'm doing it again, because I realized like going through all the synopsis and doing all the, um, I, I do enjoy like trying to explore my characters and get to know them and write scenes about them and everything prior to, you know, drafting. But once I got back into this, I, I felt like I was really burned out for a while because I had written two books and then, you know, launching and everything. But then I started drafting again recently and I just felt kind of pumped like, oh, cool. I'm like in this woman's head and that's awesome. And I just remembered right now what I like about writing was, you know, I'd just been so burned out from having to do so much revision that, it, and I know that's coming again and that's part of it, but this is fun. I mean, yeah. What about uh, you? I really like, um, getting to the point where I'm editing. I'm yeah. always editing, you know, I mean, even after a book, I, I really don't read, aside from doing a reading, I really don't read what I wrote. Um, <laughs> well, yeah, and also, you know, you're, you know, you wrote it a couple of years ago, usually, even when the book's published, right? I mean, it's yeah. been a year and a half, maybe, since you last wrote that, and, and you're a better writer by then. Exactly. And you, you know, you're inspired by different things, and it, it's, it's hard to, I, sometimes I, you can have a nice surprise. You can be like, oh, I like that. that. That's pretty cool. But, you know, I find myself nitpicking. Me too. I, I honestly, I was looking at it and I read through it and I'm like, okay, this is, the, I can see, I would change this word and this one, and maybe I would take out this. But at the same time, you have to remember that when we're editing on a deadline for, you know, a book, um, yeah, if we wanted to, if we had another year to sit around and, and nitpick on everything by the time you get to the copy editing process you know it's you are where you're at you know and then there's yeah. the pages go like yeah and you're like this we're done i mean this is it like eventually you just have to let your let your baby go <laughs> so you mentioned that you'd had a book with uh before this one with a smaller publisher can you uh describe your publishing journey um so that one was really different. I mean, it was a really small publisher, um, felt completely different. Like this felt a lot more real, if you know what I mean. Oh, yeah. Um, with uh, Crooked Lane, it just felt like completely, I can't even explain the massive 
difference. I don't know. You do you have you have other books, don't you? Be um, the unrepentant. I haven't read it yet, but yeah, yeah, the unrepentant. So I had two books with a really tiny publisher. I guess what you'd call like a micro publisher, you mm -hmm. know. And and those are uh, those were just sitting there collecting dust. So my agent and I got the rights back to them, and uh, and. Oh with the idea that maybe someday we'd package them into something else and resell them. But I don't know, because again, I wrote them so long ago that I just hate them now. <laughs> maybe not. I, I just haven't really read them. With my other one, because I mean, it's, it's under, you know, a different name. I don't, I don't think, I mean, it's never been brought up. So I don't know what we would do with that one. Although I do um, like that book. I mean, I, yeah. I just knew, like, I still like the characters and stuff in that book. But I don't think it would probably work for me branding wise because it's not um, really suspense. It's it's a family drama for sure. I mean, the other books. So, well, is um, that's is that something you're gonna do? Are you gonna stay um, in this uh, field? Because I've I've you know after talking with you and, and you've talked about your short fiction and and other stuff, um, you know I get the sense that you could write a couple of different genres if you wanted are you committed to, to staying in uh the crime fiction field i'm not committed to anything <laughs> but um no honestly so i have one that i really hope will you know find a home and everything that is more of a mystery i just think we should just like maybe call my books more like mystery type uh not so much give them that title of thriller and how people want to expect to go in with high octane because I mean, I'm not saying that there's no plot, but it's, I mean, there is, but I think that, you know, reader expectation for thrillers is super specific, you know? Yeah, I've I have gotten some news, this isn't quite a thriller. This is a little bit more of a family drama. And it kind of makes me think like, well, maybe we sh I shouldn't try to set myself up in a sense of, well, this is who I am. I mean, it, I love crime fiction in the sense that I like to put um murder on a page like I bit but my style can really change just because that's what people um you don't want to make them expect something that they're not going to get because you know family dramas do just fine it, they just don't do as well when they're marketed as the wrong thing you know yeah, I've, but, I've seen books marketed as thrillers, and they've really suffered as far as reviews, both from trades and from readers, because they're expecting, you know, something different. I mean, a difference between a mystery and a thriller, people get, but yeah. being miscast. I mean, I don't, think it was, I don't think it was excessive with my book. Like, I haven't heard that too much, but, and the trade, not in the trade, like, I've had really good trade reviews for this that didn't say anything about that really. I do think that people might have a certain expectation and that's totally fine, but not every book can just like fit into a very precise mold. Some people are gonna like that. Other people are gonna be like, not, you know? I guess it's just like reading is so subjective too. So it's like, well, I don't know how to fit exactly into what box what is a thriller what is mystery what is yeah. this there's like 15 different um i don't know genres within the genre of thriller yeah have you noticed that that there's so many and you know it, 
took me a while. I mean, you know, those first two books with that micro publisher, like I, I liked those books. I liked writing them, but it became, uh, it was a good learning process about publishing and also about expectations. Like you said, I mean, you really, I, I think, you know, I, I had to really learn how to switch from writing for myself to yes. writing for myself and an audience. I think that um, I started doing that more recently and, but also you have to be careful because like in your first draft, you don't want to feel like, you know, someone's on your shoulder either. Mm -hmm. So I definitely feel like I, we get better and you're right. Like when you said that about um, not having read it in a year or something, and then you've probably written a book or two more. And you're like, wow, I've gotten better. And yet this just came out. It's kind of, you know what I mean? It's, it's interesting. But I had a couple other practice books that we're never going to see, you know, the light of day. So, oh yeah. We all yeah. Do. yeah. So I know we're getting close to the end of our uh, conversation time. So I wanted to ask one last question. Um, what's been your best moment in publishing? So my best moment ever, ever, ever was seeing my book on a book bookstore shelf right there. That was that. Wait, how did you, did you tell, tell me about it? Did you go to the store? Did you see it? Was it a picture okay. someone sent you? I did go to the store after like, but the first thing was, okay. So my, somebody had sent me a picture saying, you know, this is, um, you know, the call me Elizabeth Larks at my bookstore. Look at this. Isn't this cool? And then I actually called my sister in California and I said, so, um, so is call me Elizabeth Lark over there, like at Barnes and Noble or anything. And she called and it was, and I said, because uh, it's a pandemic and not that many people are out, you know, including my sister and my sisters, I go, can you ask them if they'll snap a picture for you? And she's all, no, I'll just put on a mask and go down there. So. <laughs> Ah, oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, that's, I just had so much fun listening to you two. You guys are um, just so much fun. <laughs> um, <laughs> if you, if you, uh, you can um, entertain one last question for me, actually. I would love to ask both of you a question that I love to ask authors on the podcast. Um, what, I mean, as you both know, as people who put out a book during this past year, this has been a crazy year. Um, we've dealt with this pandemic and we're still dealing with it. And is has there been anything book or like podcast, TV, anything that's like helped you get through <laughs> or just been like something that like in the moment you were like, wow, you forgot all of this craziness that's happening. I feel like reading has been really important for me and also supporting other authors who had books coming out at this time. Like, oh, I'm going to go to your event. I mean, on Zoom, which is great because I couldn't have gone to their event if it was in New York and I'm in Idaho, you know, things like that. Um, or like buying from independent bookstores, um, especially if, you know, we did an event like this or like my friend Wendy heard just had an event the other night and I ordered the book from the bookstore that she was doing the event. I mean, of course you want to try to do that, but I think those events are good mm -hmm. for, um, bookstores right now. Um, 
just due to the fact that uh, at least people who go will, you know, hopefully buy because I mean, we'd really like to encourage um, everybody to, you know, buy through their local independent bookstore. Right. And just so you know, uh, Skylight also has a very great list of virtual events that you can find on our website, www.skylightbooks.com. And um, that is a lot of them are free to sign up for. And yeah, we have some good ones. But Ed, what's your answer? Um, well, I wish I could say it was, you know, I, I, you know, just read so much, but I really didn't, man. I had a hard time reading in 2020. Um, and I think it's because I also had a hard time watching dramas on TV. I, I really couldn't get invested into something serious because everything was so serious. So mm-hmm. what, what I found were sitcoms. I went through like Fleabag and Schitt's Creek and I did uh, Younger and I watched um, uh, Lovesick and so many of these these really, really, really good sitcoms. Um, and that my wife and I watched like we binged through that and that that was a big help. Um, I would say that one of the things that that I've done is I, I do the uh, I host washington dc's virtual or noir at the bar series and we went virtual and we did i I did 14 events last year every event dedicated to a different independent bookstore in the area we're really fortunate here to have so many independent bookstores that i didn't have to repeat and uh we had you know attendance we never had attendance less than 100 people and it was really lovely to see like people coming together and enjoying this and, and, and really, you know, um, you know, finding this outlet they needed. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that, that meant a lot to me. Um, and it was, so it was fun to see, it was fun to contribute to that. Um, and, and nice to find solace mm-hmm. in, in all the kind of suffering. But one, one thing I would say is, you know, like writers really have, no better partners and no more you know than, than independent bookstores That's because so we're small businesses independent bookstores are small businesses we we support each other you right. know we um the books like i said the indies here in dc are really um are, are are just fantastic to work with um so one thing i always like to say is uh for anybody listening to this afterwards please um visit Skylight Books website and order a book from there. It doesn't have to be one of ours if you already have it, although it should be, should especially be. Melissa's. It's really good. I, but, think, um, I think both your books would be like a great package deal. Like get one, get the, yeah, like read back to back. They're gone and Call Me Elizabeth Lark would be perfect totally. pair. I mean, I'd love that, but it'd be great if everybody who listened to this bought uh, one or two books from the bookstore afterwards uh, as a way to say thank you for putting on uh, an event like this. No, this yeah. is... Thank you so much. That's a great answer. And also to kind of ask about, the, I mean, the Noir at the Bar sounds great. Do you guys have any events coming up that you would like to plug real quick? Man, I wish, but I really got to get off my butt and do <laughs> After doing 14 last year, I got so burnt out. Now I'm yeah. like, yeah, I got to do one at some point. So no, I don't have an event to plug, but um, maybe uh, soon. There's, I have a newsletter that goes out once a month that lists um, events that I'm doing. And in that or the Noir at the Bar is another thing. So if you go to my website, eamr.com, you can, uh, you can subscribe to the newsletter there and I'll keep be updated on everything no that sounds i mean yeah subscribe and 
that sounds great. I mean, if it's virtual too, why wouldn't you, right? Um, no, this is this has been a great conversation. Thank you both for um, just letting me one listen, but also coming and doing this through Skylight. Um, any last things you want to say? You kind of said stuff to the independent bookstore, Ed, but like any last thing you want to say to the independent bookstore community and like um, just people who like love to just like get their books from um, independent bookstores? Oh, I just wanted to thank everybody who does order and that really does order from the indies and listens when we say like, please order from, you know, your local independent because we're really doing that because we want to keep bookstores alive. I mean, it's yeah. so important. Um, and also thank you to the bookstores which have helped us and hosted, you know, us and kept our books, and, you know, held our books, um, sold our books. And there's something very special about the author relationship with the local bookstore, especially like for me in my um, hometown here, you know, there are authors who live near, you know, an, an indie store, like they want to support you and things like that. So I think it's great the way that indie bookstores support authors and mm-hmm. authors. I mean, we always want to encourage that. Um, you know, just the general public doesn't necessarily know, you know, that this helps like so much. And any, anything else to add, Ed? Yeah. I mean, you know, there was a lot of talk at the start of the pandemic, you know, which is roughly a year ago now or a year and a month ago um, that it really hit our shores. Um, There was a lot of talk about, you know, businesses, the, 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 casualties we'd have among businesses and happily it doesn't seem to have been as dramatic regarding a lot of independent bookstores as we feared and I it could have been it absolutely could have been and I think it wasn't because those stores have fostered so much love and support in the community and it's it's really nice to see and I'm uh thank uh thankful that they're going to continue because that it's like a, a library in some ways and wandering through a bookstore uh when you're a reader when you're an aspiring writer as a published writer it's just the uh it's the best and your dog agrees yeah yeah my my dog <laughs> <laughs> was like independent bookstore that's <laughs> um. hello and no um and like both and um just on that too yeah I think that a lot of people have realized that independent I mean a lot of people are reading more which is great they were like we're stuck inside let's read books but they also realized I think through it which gives me hope for and I hope it gives you too hope that like people are bookstores are just a necessity and independent bookstores are like needed in the community and like stuff like this is you guys coming on this podcast are just it's just so good for our community so thank you again i've had such a great time listening to you both um for our listeners this has been melissa colasanti and ed amar and you can order their books call me elizabeth lark and they're here um they're gone sorry i'm so sorry not they're here they're gone Maybe they, the they were here at one point so they were here. yeah and now they're gone right that's the um, that's the that's the prequel honestly <laughs> i want credit i will take credit on that and <laughs> no but the, you can order both of those books at www.skylightbooks.com or come to the bookstore to see them and like flip through the pages and 
really get like that bookstore vibe. So thank you again for listening to Skylit and we hope to see you all soon. Thank you for listening to the Skylight Books podcast series. Please don't forget to visit our website at skylightbooks.com and make sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast for more author talks and bookseller conversations. You can find us on Podbean, iTunes, and Spotify. Stay safe and healthy, and we hope to see you back in our store soon. I see.